stop. You feel the devil's riding crop. Get ready for the future. It is murder. Health reporter BBC News. 
Health Secretary Alan Johnson is calling for fluoride to be added to England's water supplies in the hope of reducing tooth decay among some of the society's poorest and most vulnerable. They always go for the poorest and most vulnerable because these are the ones that Mr. Um, uh, Charles Galton Darwin in the next million years uh, said might overtake through their breeding, uh, you know, the special ones, the elite ones at the top. So they go for these ones. And he continues, he says, for a public which has grown accustomed to health interventions, and where do they get the authority for that? It's supposed to be services, and not authorities. Health interventions from seatbelts to smoking bans, it may seem curious that such a laudable aim could prove so contentious. But fluoridization strikes a particular ethical nerve, while the smoker can still nip outside for his cigarette so far without getting shot. No one can escape regulations which alter the water they drink. To its critics, it is forced mass medication to the sure benefits of which may pale in comparison to the uncertain consequences, including cancer, infertility, and Down syndrome. To its advocates, fluoridization is one of the most effective ways of achieving equality in dental health and giving the poorer child's teeth a chance to sparkle like those of his middle-class counterpart, you know, his betters. Not for you, it may be a controversial, but it isn't new. The benefits were first suggested by U.S. researchers in the 1930s. That was after they watched the tests that were doing over in Germany and other countries and watched how placid the public started to become. It says, who compared tooth decay in areas with different levels of natural occurring fluoride in the water. Grand Rapids, Michigan became the first city to add the chemical to its water supply in 1945, and other areas quickly followed suit. In 1955, pilot schemes were launched in Watford, Kilmarnock, and Anglesey in England. The first evaluation report in 1962 was positive, and Birmingham was among the first cities to make the shift to policy still in operation today. It spread. Today there are 6 million people, around 10% of the population with fluoridated water supplies, but momentum was trailing off by the 1980s. It was last implemented in 1985. Despite new legislation in 2003, which gave strategic health authorities... Now here, isn't it amazing they're all becoming militarized? Strategic health authorities strategy. I wonder if have got a rapid response team to dump fluoride in your well. Strategic health authorities has the power to ensure a supplier adds fluoride to a water supply. None of the authorities have made use of this provision that we know of. And it's really time they did, said Professor Mike Lennon, chairman of the British Fluoridization Society, the man who gets a payoff, because the benefits of doing so are now beyond doubt. Of course, this isn't for everyone. It won't be necessary in the wealthier home counties, for instance. No, we need those people to retain their survival capabilities, as, as they said in their books. But if Manchester started doing this, they could get child tooth decay levels in line with Birmingham, where kid, they've got kids there too, and at least have children, are twice as likely to have fillings. If we get supplies up from 10 to 30%, say, we would really be getting somewhere. Mixed picture. Indeed, no one seriously doubts that fluoridation does stop decay. Well, really, well, the guy who had the case in Canada and got it through turned totally against it when he got all the rest of the, of the documentation, and he's leading the charge to get it stopped. And maybe someone should tell the BBC. But uh, anything goes on and on with its pros and cons and all the rest of it. 
uh, it's quite the amazing stuff uh, that how we're, we're drugged, stupefied uh, with science. I think it was FDR who said uh, there, there are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics. Meaning once you t- attach science to something, it's hard to dispute it. That's the, the trick of using statistics and graphs and charts like Thomas Malthus did to prove his overpopulation theories of the 1700s. And this is the same kind of stuff we're having here. Uh, the fact is, this plenty damage comes from fluoride. There's no doubt at all it's a poison. If you read the toothpaste, it tells you to watch your, or to actually keep your limit down per day. So here they are telling you that in the toothpaste. Meanwhile, they're putting it in your water too. It'll be in all the soft drinks they sell as well. So you're getting overdosed with the stuff. And what does it do? It definitely makes you a bit dumber than you would normally be. Never mind the fact it makes your bones brittle. And it puts these little, lovely little white spots that stick in the enamel of your teeth and give you that mottled effect. So they're, they're fast ahead. Doing all this stuff to us, we're just too imperfect, you see. It reminds me of the old occult, occultic uh, system which talked about where they were, their job was here, there to, to perfect that which was left imperfect, meaning all of the people. We're just too imperfect, and they have to perfect us all in the image that they desire. And they make you a few boo-boos along the way, a few screw-ups. Well, it's too bad. It's all in the interest of science, and it's all for the general good, isn't it? And it's just too bad about the, you know, the faulty ones who, who suffer on the way. That's the world we're living in. We're rats in a, in a, a cage. We're being tested on, poked, prodded, and this big stick of statistics and data from various scientists that keep altering their theories on everything pretty well every week uh, seems to be ruining our lives and we are told, mind you, told and ordered to go along with every new theory that comes along the pike regardless of the obvious side effects that you can see for yourself if you just look around you there's no rights anymore have you noticed? we have no rights we haven't really had them for some time They've been taking away from us bit by bit by bit, really from the 1930s onwards. In the 1930s, that's when FDR came in with the New Deal. The New Deal. The New Deal was their term at the top for a whole new way, you see, where federal governments would run the system almost completely and put themselves into areas that was off limits for them before. They started up work camps for men. Men were traveling all over uh, the continent looking for work during the Depression. And FDR, being a good banker that he was, was put in there to work for the bankers and bring in the New Deal. They were given military uniforms to work in the forest, to build roads and all the rest of it. And voila, along came World War II, and that young generation just walked into the other uniform, the upgraded newer ones, and became soldiers. It was quite a training exercise. And if you were to go back into the rest of the world at that time, they were all doing the same thing. Because they were all getting us ready for a World War II that supposedly pulled us out of the Great Depression because of the manufacturing process that went on and the unlimited borrowing that went on. 
never explained why they couldn't borrow all that money to stop the depression, but once the war started, they could borrow all that money and fight the war, win it, and take the economy out of the hole. It was during that period that they, they basically um, did this public-private partnership deal with the British Commonwealth countries and created what they called Crown Corporations. Crown Corporations today are sort of above all authority. It's never been explained to the public, even the Korean Broadcasting Corporation can't get all the lowdown of what Crown Corporations are. There are some shares sold, but they won't disclose, disclose who to, although they've said in Britain it's the members of royalty and some of the very wealthy elite. These are national systems or institutions that run your country. All done during the 1930s. The farmers lost their shirts during the 20s and 30s. Governments then stepped in with the regulations of farming. And after all, when they brought in the United Nations in 45, they said that agriculture was too important to be left to farmers. And they've done their best ever since to put them under. And the big agri-food businesses have taken over. Now we're all at their mercy because they own the world's food supply. Nothing happens by chance. Now we have Leo in Massachusetts, I believe. And we'll try and bring him up. Hello, Leo. Are you there? Is Leo there? No, it's a break. Hmm. Okay, I'll be back after these messages. Demand. This is We the People Radio Network. He's five foot two and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of thirty one and he's only seventeen. Been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist, and a Baptist, and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will. Kill you for me, my friend, and me for you. And he's fighting for Canada, he's fighting for France. He's fighting for the USA And he's fighting for the Russians And he's fighting for Japan And he thinks we'll put an end to war this way And he's fighting for democracy He's fighting for the Reds He says it's for the peace of all He's the one who must decide Who's to live and who's to die And he never sees the writing on the wall 
But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at Laval? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war. And without him, all his killing can't go on. He's the universal soldier and he really is to blame. His orders come from far away no more. They come from here and there and you and me. And brothers, can't you see? This is not the way we put the end to war. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just going over through some of the things which led up to our present situation. We are trained from birth to grow up and work, work in a system, a pre-existing system that gives you a limited amount of avenues as to where you'll spend your energy and earn your living, in fact. You're graded, you're graded, in the old Masonic term, everything is Masonic in this system, you're graded for your intellect, your abilities and so on, and your usefulness to the system, and you're also born into it because your, your first grading is all dependent upon your parents, what class you're born into, where you go to the, one of the better private schools, where you'll eventually meet all your friends that you'll mix with down through life, uh, in big business, in politics, etc., or will you go to the middle class uh, schools where you'll go into be an engineer or something like that? Or will you go into the lower class schools where you're, you just take the jobs that are offered to you? You often get married young, have children, and you just race through life trying to make ends meet and have some fun while you're doing it. And, of course, the, the most rotten jobs that you have make you want to have more fun to escape from it. That's the problem, and that's why... The countries in Europe that were masters at that gave us lots of publicans, lots of pubs to go and drown our sorrows and make us feel all good. That's where guys would go and slap each other on the backs and pretend that everything was just hunky-dory when they're all crying miserably inside in all reality. That's the system that we're born into. We're born into a pre-existing system where we owe money. In fact, as soon as we're born, because you're, you take on the debt from a previous generation, and if you go back to the old black book of the law, it tells you that if you're born into that, into a debtor system, you are therefore the property of the slave master until you pay off that debt, which is ongoing. You can't pay it off, so we're in perpetual slavery. Some, some of the founding fathers of the U.S. talked about that. They knew their stuff. They were high masons. And Jefferson said uh, that people, a generation born in to a system where they have to pay off the debt of a pre-existing generation were therefore, in fact, slaves, were de facto slaves. And that's exactly how it is. And yet it's never presented that way to you. Uh, when you're at school or when you're born, you just go along with the system, you get a birth certificate, you get a social insurance number, your SIN number, and you're owned by the state. You earn money, you get a document demanding money back from you, it's called taxation. If the mafia does it, it's called extortion. The governments call it taxation, and we don't think any more about it. We just want to comply. The facts are the facts, the acts are the acts. If the acts are the same, 
then it's the same if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And you serve your masters. That's the system we've been born into, that we've been taught to think is all quite natural. And there's nothing natural about it. It didn't just evolve this way. It's a very old, old system, tried and tested down through the ages. Only today, they have lots more people they can employ in higher positions in the big think tanks and foundations to work on the future, to make sure that those at the top, those who have evolved to the highest pinnacles and their, their offspring will still rule the world in a thousand years. That's literally what it's all about. In Britain, you go through London, and if you met some of the wealthier people, uh, the ones in the know, they just refer to the ones who rule as the establishment. The establishment was above politics. The establishment was something you whispered about in the higher levels because you, were, you weren't supposed to let the public know too much about it. Very old families, powerful families, often intermarried, and second, third, fourth cousins, etc. The ones who put their own youngsters into the secret service that's still on the go today, which is higher clearance than MI5 or 6. They can do no wrong. And the whole idea was to ensure that they would rule for perpetuity. A particular class would rule. The better ones, your betters, as the lower classes call them, your betters would rule. Because we were all too silly and stupid to make any good decisions on our own. It'd always be faulty decisions. We needed our betters to do it all for us, and we had to comply. But they also gave us this, this con game called politics and left and right. That really did consume people I did see growing up how they'd argue about the, the parties, the political parties, and the promises that they're always given that distracted them for years on end, and how they'd vote them in and then wonder what on earth happened to their, their, their hero uh, when nothing seemed to change, things just kept getting worse. Then they'd vote that bunch out and vote the next bunch in, and the same thing would happen over and over and over. And yet it was hard ever to get these people to see beyond this game, this, this um, punch and duty game, this wrestler match called politics, because the establishment was ruling the, the country. The higher government, the one that Margaret Thatcher talked about, the parallel government that's comprised at the lower level with ex-prime ministers and ex-presidents and ex-senior civil servants from the federal offices and bureaus. Uh, that's what comprises it at the lower levels. And these characters are now called technocrats like Kissinger. They travel the world. Professor Quigley talked about it. He said these technocrats have more power than elected officials. They're unaccountable to the public, completely unaccountable. And therefore, they, they can, they're quite happy not getting the applause and knowing with confidence that they have the real power to get things done. And that's how Thatcher just talked about it in her own world tour on the New World Order. 
I'll mention more about this after the following messages. Listening to We the People Radio Network. Without ever saying I need a reward 
I have to buy some plastic gizmo from China and be happy for five minutes. They won't even have that ability to do that kind of thing. So that's their brave new world, and it's all been planned. And here we go. We're going down the, the big chute. While most folk truly are playing themselves with all the lovely games that have been given, even the adults, too, are going into their virtual world willingly. The new sheep pen where the grass seems to be greener, for instance, on a wide screen, especially in plasma. And we're going to go live now to John from Connecticut. Are you there, John? Yes, I am. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Um, you know, you've been talking about the, um, I, I guess my question really is the, the bloodlines of these people. But uh, I heard somebody on the Alex Jones show today talk about, I think he was a CIA guy who's kind of speaking out about these um, political so-called leaders that run for presidential elections. He mentioned that Hillary Rodham Clinton's father was a mobster in Chicago. Do you know mm -hmm. anything else about the history of uh, her family? Where does she come from? Because that's really all I want to find out. We, we, we're, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know. We won't be, we won't be told until she's made president one day, and probably even then it'll be halfway through the term. Uh, generally, they don't tell you who they are till they're, they're halfway through the term, or they're just left off. I'm still waiting to see who Tony Blair was. He'll be, he'll be well-related, but they still haven't told us yet uh, what his lineage is. We know uh, William, uh, William Clinton, Jefferson Clinton, his real name was Bly. He was adopted, right? Uh, well, he had a mother um, that was well-known in some circles uh, who went to some of the best parties with the Rockefellers and so on. That's, that's right. I've heard that he may be a Rockefeller in, in reality. He certainly looks like one of the Rockefellers. If you look at him 30 years ago, yes, uh, oh, David, he was awfully similar yeah, in features. And, and the, the, all of these... Um, High, highfalutin sort of politicians back years ago all made sure they had offspring which through all sorts of other, um, I don't know, what they say. Well, yeah, you're right. You see, they had breeding programs, and you find traces of that with even the old Hellfire Club in London, in High Wycombe. And uh, that was one of the honours, was to be allowed to breed with what they called the dollies, the ones with special genes. And then you would pass your genes on, and hopefully you'd have a, the, the male heir that would take over. And you, you find the same thing with Rothschilds when they sent over Jacob Schiff. Jacob Schiff was brought up in the, ho the household of the Rothschilds and sent over to the U.S., and it's thought that he was an actual Rothschild, but from a different mother. Right, right. Because now, with, Hillary, with Hillary, it came out in the papers when she suddenly discovered she was Jewish. Uh, a few right. years ago. Yeah, she suddenly mm -hmm. found out, just like Madeleine Albright suddenly found out too. <laughs> and uh, uh, you have all these strange things that are put into the major media but never really explained because the hard thing you suddenly find out, even though Madeleine Albright's uh, grandfather was the guy who worked alongside Lenin on his right-hand men and started up the idea of what became the Green Party. Oh, I, I didn't know that the... Jewish connections to Hillary Clinton. That, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and you'll find this thing, too. This is a strange thing. It's the same with, with many of these big players. Armand Hammer um, was taken uh, when he was five years old to go and study and work, taken from his parents to, to, to learn his role in the world for the coming uh, sort of communist com combination with fascist era that, that he would grow up in. 
so they're, they're almost bred for their tasks in a way and trained for them from a very early age. Okay, Alan, thanks. I won't hold the line here. Let somebody else get questions in. I know time is kind of tight. Thank you once again. Love your program. Thanks, thanks for calling. So, so, yeah, you have all these odd, odd connections with people that uh, often are, are told to the public years later. Um, it's funny. It's like it's the very same thing with the, the Prime Minister, the old Prime Minister of Canada, Pierre Trudeau. Pierre Trudeau, all we knew about him was he went to the, one of the best schools. It's our form of, of Eton here where they meet their own peer group that they'll be working with all their lives to become politicians. And he was very wealthy, very wealthy family. And yet he led the Comintern Party, the Young Communist Party of Canada, over to Moscow. And in 1952, eventually he ran for the Liberal ticket when he came back to Canada. And not one, not one person, in, not one reporter in Canada mentioned it to the public that uh, this guy who was head of the Comintern Party uh, was running for prime ministership, and he, and he won. And, and, of course, he was a Rhodes Scholar for global governments. Quigley explains that. They don't care if they're communist, uh, a fascist, or whatever they are. They mix with them all. But they also put their own boys into them all as well, because it's just one big con game for a global society. Look at the aims of all of these groups that were called communists and, and fascists. They were all global agendas that really all came to the same ending, the rulership over the masses in a perfected society. So they're all one and the same thing, using the Hegelian techniques and the dialectic. And it was the same nonsense with when they put Castro in and helped him take over Cuba. Then the CIA says, gee, we didn't realize he was a communist. Oh, oh ha, ha, ha. Oh, this is the nonsense that we're fed. They set up what seems to be enemies when it suits them and have us all fighting and hot and bothered about it. Meanwhile, Cuba is just off the coast, and the U.S. is flattened different countries in the Middle East and other across the planet, but they leave this little place alone. Why? Because big drugs pass through Cuba on their way into the U.S., and you'd find a lot of the black budgets of the CIA and so on wouldn't go ahead and couldn't do it otherwise. There's, there's much more at stake than what we're ever told or what the public's told. We do live in Disneyland. We live in Disneyland. More so, perhaps, in the U.S., just a little bit more so um, than anywhere else in the world, because the public were given truly so much nonsense on, on the recent history. They rewrote the recent history and gave them Little House on the Prairie. Back with more after these messages. Great host, great topics, free speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network. through the matrix just dispelling some of the myths here and how the, the strange the strange machinations that go on of the people who are presented to be leaders is 
In Canada, too, there was a, a company called the Power Corp Corporation, run by, I think it was the Desiree family. And they picked prime minister after, they trained these prime ministers before they became prime ministers. They all worked for the Power Corp Corporation uh, that trained these high executive types for big positions. And in other words, they were filtering and vetting who would become uh, put to the top of the country. The establishment runs Canada. There is an establishment in Canada, believe it or not, and just the same as Britain. Uh, it's not just an Anglo-American establishment. It's the, the Anglo-Canadian establishment, Australia, New Zealand, etc. Uh, it runs it very well. And we have our own department of the Royal Institute for International Affairs here in Canada with its round tables and all the rest of it reporting to London, working with the same agenda as London, and they call it the Canadian Institute instead of the Royal Institute, but it's the same thing. And the, and the U.S. is simply called the Council on Foreign Relations. Now we've got Tim in Montreal. Are you there, Tim? Hi, Alan. Yes, um, it's just a, a question of basics. Um, is it your um, contention that all forms of government are, are control, or is it possible that there's good government but that it's being hijacked at the present time? Uh, good government could only come out of an utter chaotic situation, and even then only temporarily uh, while the public were watching it like hawks. Within a gen the end of a generation, it would already be uh, infiltrated. Jefferson was quite right. You see, these guys had looked at all the histories, and he said that it's a good thing for the people to have a revolution every one or two generations to clear out government, because he knew that the first thing they do is try to get their own offspring in, and then you have the, an establishment forming already, uh, and it's, it's through the family lineages, you have dynasties running it, and even right after the American War of Independence, you had a whole bunch of them trying to get their own relatives in, Benjamin Franklin tried to get Temple, his son, in, uh, and many others did too. Some of them were successful. So it can only last as long as the public are literally are part of You see, the, the, the people really are supposed to be the government, the people. Right. So ultimately, where we would like to head is basically the, the disappearance of government completely and yeah. people being in a voluntary society. Yeah, ultimately, uh, uh, that's the only alternative because the, the one they're bringing in is a form of the same thing. It's a mirror image, only you'll have no option but to go along with what uh, this small elite have decided for you. You'll think you're making your own decisions, but you won't. You'll be controlled. They're very good at giving you a mirror image, but, but a voluntary society is where everyone participates in the system and the representatives, let's be honest, the representatives you send off are supposed to come from your town or village to represent you. As soon as they bring a party system in, that representative no longer represents you. He represents the party. And that's where he'll turn around and tell his constituents, well, I can't really do that. I have to go along with the party line. That, so, so we're not voting in, in our, our own representatives at all. We're voting in guys that simply make up more numbers in a particular party. So then, in theory, it could be possible that there's a, a, a government, but that it's party-less, and it's just we vote a representative to, to, 
for administrative affairs, and like it. Uh, yeah, and you also have to have a voluntary rotating system where, just like people are called out from the citizen uh, society to man the courts as a jury, you'd have to have volunteer, people who are called out and rotate from all walks of life, uh, constantly rotating, uh, probably for no more than six months at a time, to observe these ones at the top to make sure that nothing else is going on and be an oversight sort of committee. Uh, okay, so then uh, a government that would run um, due process courts and because I'm just thinking, uh, forgive me for taking so long, that this question is, kill, is um, torturing me. Um, is if if it's possible, like it just seems the whole, all government, all court systems, everything is is corrupt from yes. even the even the basic due process. I mean, how can anyone have authority over anybody else, even for murder, rape, robbery? You know, the basic common law crimes. I. I, I, mm -hmm. I and now we're all guilty of, of just of, from existing. We're all suspects now, and that's how that's how see law itself, especially police organisations, to prevent crime, you'd have to have every individual tied up. And that's the only way they could guarantee to stop crime, and therefore, since they can't do that immediately, it's taken step by step until you're bound by their rules, laws, under surveillance, so that you can't commit crime even if you desired. That's inevitable with government institutions. The military in Canada, in Kingston, for instance, has the same kind of thing. They teach their officers that the only way to a global peace is for a global society where the military will put an end to war by fighting wars to create the end of war. That's their mentality right there. Right. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for calling. And that's our dilemma. Uh, we, we live in a society which, which um, on the surface, we're supposed to be ruled by people we elect. Now, it's a big joke. We all know it's a joke. Um, and yet uh, the problem, again, with the public is whenever the elites give you a little one generation of having more money, even though it's all credit, and more toys to play with, more distractions, more entertainment than, than the, probably all of the generations that have gone before us, right back to the days before Plato even, um, have ever had. As soon as we're into that mode of having fun, the big boys move swiftly, and we see what's happening right now. We're, we're living in mental masturbation of enjoyment, and we're losing every right and freedom, not just for ourselves in a our selfish way, but... We don't even look to the future and see the children that could be in the right to life that they have, the right to their society that they have. Uh, that, that doesn't even enter most folks' minds. They don't care. Uh, this is the me generation to the extreme. Uh, they're stuffed. They can't get enough. And the big boys are rampaging ahead with an agenda to put us all in a, a mental limbo where we won't tell fact from fiction, reality uh, from fiction. And that will be peace for them at the top when, when there's no possibility of the plebeians at the bottom causing any more trouble for them uh, and, and doing anything nasty to them. Uh, the, the big boys are terrified, always have been, of the general public. They know their history. They're taught their history. They've known what's, what's happened in the past in history when they've gone too far. And 
uh, they're terrified because they're so corrupt at the top. Mind you, they don't call it corruption. They say it as the rightful Jews, since they are so superior to all the ones. They actually see themselves as a separate species. Uh, that's the bottom line. And they are psychopathic. Psychopathy it used to be shunned by psychiatry as far as looking at any other class except the bottom classes. So for about a century, they only saw the guy who wanted the jewelry in the window would smash the window and steal it because a psychopath generally cannot tolerate frustration. He must have immediate reward and gratification. However, once they started looking into the, the same traits in upper echelons, it was incredible to find out that they came up with whole categories, including uh, the attention-seeking hysterical types that go into politics, and that's how they're classified, by the way, that are going to politics or into acting careers. But they're psychopaths nonetheless. And, and they're, they're basically inbred. They're the ones at the top who control the money system and the power structure, the wealth of the world, the real land of the world, uh, the resources of the world, they're very, very old families indeed. They are mated up, they're matched up. Uh, so you have a successful psychopath from male and female coming together, chosen by bloodlines to keep that wealth together, make sure their children uh, come out uh, regardless of their, their persuasions. As long as they have children, it's all okay. And they continue the family lineages. That's how it's done. That's how it's planned. And it's been that way for thousands of years. This was helped and, and buffered by the religious systems uh, that they had. The Catholic Church would appoint the kings. The kings would serve them. And the Catholic Church fought desperately to keep that same system in place at the top. Uh, they were against any idea of democracy. The church itself is not democratic. It's not a democratic institution, remember. And they don't like change. So it all works together for the same end. So from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>